Welcome to your new favorite bookish podcast, Fully Booked and Caffeinated. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Heather. And today we will be discussing Looking for Alaska by John Green. As usual, let's talk about our fuel for this discussion first. What are you drinking, Heather? Well, I went to Dunkin' and got my classic blueberry cobbler coffee that I'm obsessed with and just get all the time. It's so good. Your usual. I know. It's either that or a latte. Like I just, whenever I go to Dunkin' and I've been going so much because I need the fuel. And whenever I leave the house, I'm like, I deserve an iced coffee. You sure do. So the amount of times that I've bought Dunkin' the past two months is sickening, but also I'm keeping that in business for sure. I mean, somebody has to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I am drinking blueberry tea, but I'm drinking it out of my mug, which says my favorite season is the fall of the patriarchy and it has leaves on it. So I'm embracing the fall. I'm ready. Me too. Also, I appreciate that we both have blueberry drinks. Yes. Absolutely. Anyone who hates on blueberry. We're also from New Jersey. It's a very New Jersey thing to love blueberry. Also, it was 100 degrees outside and we're talking about the fall. I don't know. There's a lot going on. (laughs) I know, but I'm ready for fall. It's my season. I completely agree, but I wish that the weather would make up its mind. Like either commit or don't commit, you know? Yeah, that heat wave last week was not my fave. Yeah, that was horrible. Yeah, I'm ready for a little crispness. No cold. Mm -hmm. No cold. Just a little crisp. A little All right. Well, cheers. Cheers. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about John Green. Here's a little blurb from his website. In 2007, John and his brother Hank ceased textual communication and began to talk primarily through video blogs posted to YouTube. Their blog is called Vlog Brothers. The videos spawned a community of people called nerd fighters who fight for intellectualism and to decrease the overall worldwide level of suck. <laughs> Decreasing suck takes many forms. Nerd fighters have raised millions of dollars to fight poverty in the developing world. They also plan thousands of trees around the world in May of 2010 to celebrate Hank's 30th birthday. And their YouTube channel is still active. They're also part of an educational YouTube channel. It's called Crash Course, where they and a bunch of other hosts teach humanities and science courses on YouTube, which is awesome. Yeah. Now, even if you haven't read any of John Green's books, chances are you've heard of him or seen one of the wildly popular movies adapted from his books, Paper Towns, and then of course, Fault in Our Stars, which is one of the best-selling books of all time. Mm-hmm. And that's really what skyrocketed him to fame. A lot of people also credit John Green with changing the way that we look at young adult fiction. And I think this kind of fits with how you and I discuss young adult as a genre, because sometimes we're talking about themes that we just can't believe are in these YA novels. And I think he kind of paved the way for that. I can agree with that, actually, because his his young adult stories are, first off, so emotional. Mm -hmm. They're very, very emotional. And they just they deal with really hard life things. Yeah, yeah. And they say that the main themes of his books, like overall, are love, loss and identity, which young adults feel in a very real way, but they aren't always validated and expressing those feelings. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why he's his books have made such a difference. Yeah, I can stand by that. I could go on and on about John Green because his list of accomplishments is really impressive. It's like, it's a little exhausting. He speaks at conferences, he focuses on education and charity work. He's just overall extremely successful. But I know that that's not why we're here. 
So let's just Well, did you take know that he also has a podcast with his brother? Yes. Yeah, I did dear see Hank that. And, John. and I love that they still do all of their stuff together. I know. I don't know if they've been posting as much because I know his brother has cancer. Okay. But actually, Eric introduced me to their podcast and I, I listened to it because I mm-hmm. love John Green. I didn't really know much mm-hmm. about Hank, but I love John Green. So when I started listening to the podcast, they're just so funny. <laughs> they're I good. also love that John Green is just like the nerdiest, mm-hmm. most adorable man. Like he's I know. just... <laughs> so cute and it's like and it's interesting because you see him and then like i also like hear him talk on the podcast so i read all these books most of his books if not all of them like years ago and Mm -hmm. then i listened to the podcast maybe only recently like two years ago and so now that i reread looking for alaska it's really weird (laughs) reading the book knowing how he is now or like knowing who he is as a person because obviously when i read his books i didn't know anything about him or anything Mm -hmm. so knowing like how nerdy he is and everything it's it was almost an more of an interesting perspective for me to have on the book yeah and it's also cool because i think even since we started doing this podcast we think a lot more about the author behind the book Mm -hmm. instead of just the book as a book Mm -hmm. so i think that's pretty cool yeah so this book in particular looking for alaska is young adult fiction It's first published in 2005, and it's actually John Green's first novel. In 2006, this book won the Michael L. Prince Award presented by the American Library Association, and it actually became the fourth most challenged book in the U.S. between 2010 and 2019 due to profanity and a sexually explicit scene. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? No. Okay, I didn't either at first. I was like, where is her sexually explicit scene? It's the blowjob scene between Miles and Lara. Oh my god. (laughs) So, and actually in 2015, it was the most challenged book that year. That's crazy. Which is just like wild, right? I could see it being the most challenged because of the topic that it's based around, but I wouldn't think that it's mm -mm. because of profanity. I mean, there is a lot of cursing. Yeah. But because she put a penis in her mouth and just stayed there. Which is great. I really did appreciate that. That was good. That was a good Mm -hmm. one. That was some nice uh, levity in the book. I didn't realize that this Um, was his first book. That's actually interesting. Yeah. Uh, It was also made into a TV miniseries on Hulu, which premiered in 2019, which for the listeners, we did want to watch for this episode, but it's nowhere to be found. I don't understand. Did did they also challenge the show? Like, I don't understand where it went. It's just, I was so excited to watch it and... And it was like, oh, you can buy it on YouTube. I'm like, no, thank you. No. Yeah. And the trailer looked really good. Mm -hmm. Because I watched the trailer for it. But alas, we only have the book. Maybe once it's available to us, we'll do a little (laughs) follow-up bonus episode. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Okay, so let's get into it. Here is the Goodreads summary. Before, Miles Pudge Halter is done with his safe life at home. His whole life has been one big non-event, and his obsession with famous last words has only made him crave the great perhaps. Even more, Francois... A poet named Francois. I love Those are that. his last words. Okay. Should have looked that one up. Anywho, <laughs> he heads off to the sometimes crazy and anything but boring world of Culver Creek Boarding School, and his life becomes the opposite of safe. Because down the hall is Alaska Young, the gorgeous, clever, funny, sexy, self-destructive, screwed up, and utterly fascinating Alaska Young. She is an event unto herself. She pulls Pudge into her world, launches him into the great perhaps, and steals his heart. Then after nothing is ever the same Hmm. i forgot what words are when i was just reading that um but 
that gives you actually not a general idea it does not, at, all at all of what happens, mm -mm. which I think is good. I think it's mm -hmm. good to go into this book blind. Yeah, I agree. So before we get into it, uh, spoiler alert, let's do a little trigger warning for suicide. Please keep that in mind. Uh, this book is full of themes. The way that most seemingly simple coming of age stories are. So we've got mortality, mm -hmm. rebelliousness, suicide, suffering, love, friendship, guilt, which I think is one of the biggest ones. Any you can think of that I missed? No, I think that's actually the biggest themes of the book. Yeah, I mean, there's some like sub themes like loss and stuff, but those aren't really the focus. The focus is like the guilt associated with it and the mortality associated with it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So like the summary said, this book is divided into before and after. So let's get into the before. We've got our four main characters. I would say four and a half main characters. Miles or Pudge as the nickname they gave him when he got to the boarding school. Chip or the Colonel. And then there's Alaska and Takumi. And I would say Lara isn't a full main character, but she does contribute to the story and she to does. Miles's journey. Yeah, she definitely does. So she's not necessarily included in all of their hijinks, but she is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So Miles, his thing is that he memorizes people's last words, which I find fascinating because mm -hmm. you know that I'm obsessed with asking people their death row meal. I know. <laughs> so, Heather, for the record, what's your death row meal? I can go first if you like, because I know. I know. 100%. You've told me a hundred times, I'm sure. And I'm sure I've told you what mine would be. And I'm sure it changes every time, to be honest. Oh, it, oh, wait. it definitely changes. I do know. Just the entire meal that I had in the restaurant in Cape Bay. I had the Mexican street corn guacamole, which was amazing. The tacos are so good. Their margaritas are delicious. Just give me all that, to be honest. Love it. At Cape May. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you are imprisoned in New Jersey so that mm -hmm. you are close enough to get that. Um, mine, I also need to be in New Jersey because part of my meal is a slice of buffalo chicken pizza and I'm not getting pizza from anywhere except New Jersey. No. Um, also a spicy tuna roll, a steak taco from Chipotle, and a mint chocolate chip milkshake. Thank you. Love it. Anyway, so hopefully we're never wrongfully convicted or we never commit a crime. But just in case, we're this prepared. is the record of, of the meals that we would mm -hmm. like. Anyway, back to Miles. So he never really had any close friends or anything in his life that he really valued. He was just kind of coasting along. Um, his dad went to boarding school and his dad loved it. So he hopes that he can kind of find a way to fit in the way that his dad did. And he doesn't really have anything to lose. No, because despite what you said, it seemed like he was kind of, it seemed like he was a loner at his public school, but not that he was disliked or anything. He just kind of, it seemed like he just kept to himself. And like you said, didn't really have any friends. Yeah. He got along with people in school, but he wasn't hanging out with those people outside of school mm -hmm. and he was kind of shy. So he just didn't really have anywhere to fit in. Yeah. And then we have Chip or the Colonel who grew up very, very poor. He hates the rich kids who go to their school and he has an amazingly close relationship with his mom. I know. And I actually love her in the book. 
Oh my gosh. The way that he wrote her was like really, Mm -hmm. I was really appreciated that. (laughs) So they go to his mom's house for Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. dinner and she just makes them this meal and he's so proud of her and just he wants to show her off because she's such an amazing mom and she's just so like witty and funny Mm -hmm. and then she covers for him when he needs an excuse i know i like the head of the boarding school (laughs) so she she's like i trust you completely whatever you're up to you know i trust that you're not doing anything too bad Mm -hmm. and chip also values loyalty above everything that's like his main trait in this book Mm -hmm. is that he cares about loyalty and that's basically the first thing that miles learns about him and they meet because they are roommates then we have alaska she loves books sex and complaining about the patriarchy amazing (laughs) uh she's very hot and cold you never know which mood you're gonna get i would argue possibly bipolar but i'm not a doctor to diagnose such a thing (laughs) yeah but that seems pretty on point yeah it tracks and we'll hear a lot more about alaska then we have takumi his thing is that he freestyles which i thought was such a funny little quirk to add in Mm -hmm. here and it just it gave us these truly human moments where they are just teenagers like where they're just hanging around sneaking booze freestyling listening to takumi like it's just this book goes into such deep hard themes and then you have those moments of levity where they're kind of just joking around and they're just being normal teenagers at a boarding school yeah and it's only towards the end do we realize that Takumi's actually a lot deeper because he's kind of portrayed as just the funny guy who's always around. But we find out that he also had this big crush on Alaska. Mm-hmm. He calls Miles out for hurting Lara. And he does feel hurt because once Miles showed up, he started getting left out a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So throughout the story, there's this constant prank war. From the very beginning, we hear about this big mystery about two students who are ratted out last year and expelled, and no one knows who ratted them out. So it's not your normal prank war. It's actually turned into revenge pranks because everyone blames somebody for ratting out Maria, but no one knows who it was. Mm -hmm. So on Miles' first night, he gets what they all think is like a regular initiation hazing by getting thrown into the lake because that happened to everyone on their first night. They get thrown into the lake in the middle of the night. They have to swim the way back, whatever. But they literally duct tape him Mm. like a mummy, arms down to his sides, completely down to his ankles so he can't even move. He could have drowned. I know. That was like wild. What the fuck? (laughs) And Miles is just like, wow, this is a wild hazing thing. (laughs) Ha ha, good thing I got out alive. And Chip is like, dude, you literally could have died. Like he he actually has to make Miles understand the severity Mm -hmm. of the situation. Yeah. Which also kind of fits with Miles' personality. He just like goes along with whatever. He's just like, oh. I thought that was normal. Yeah. Okay. Literally. literally. <laughs> he was like, I was just, I thought I was getting hazed. This seemed, this yeah. seemed like totally fine. And he's, he's like, like, okay, I didn't there's die. hazing, but then there's not hazing. That's literally trying yeah. to kill you. Which, what is the purpose of them attempting to murder the new kid that has no repercussions on the other stuff? You know what I mean? He's new. He wasn't even huh. part of the, of the ratting out of last year. Is it because like he's roommates with, with Chip and the, you know, is that why? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Chip 
that's the conclusion he kind of comes to. But he even says that he's like, this makes no sense. Why are they going after you Mm -hmm. when you weren't even here? And they also peed in Chip's shoes, (laughs) which is pretty okay <laughs> yeah but also <laughs> that that is a normal prank i feel yeah. like mm-hmm. drowning someone not no. normal that's peeing in their shoes far. yeah so <laughs> we're on a scale here yes so it goes back and forth like this for a little while and eventually we find out that alaska is the one who ratted out maria the colonel feels betrayed because the number one rule is never rat and Alaska seemed to feel as passionate about that as the colonel did. So she he can't understand why she would do what she did. Like, there is mm-hmm. no reason that she would do that. But he does forgive her pretty quickly. Yeah. Considering. And I feel like he's one to hold a grudge, but not against Alaska. I know. I feel like him and Alaska just have this deep friendship that he's... Not that she necessarily got, like, a free pass, but mm-hmm. he just understands it, I think. Why yeah. she had Why she had to rat them out. So yeah, they have this kind of like solidarity. And it's, it's crazy, because like, everyone has a crush on Alaska. But the colonel really is just like, they have like a brother and sister Mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah, platonic. So they fight and they, you know, get into trouble together. And there's no nothing sexual brewing between Mm -hmm. them. Meanwhile, Miles is also struggling with finding out that Alaska did this. Even though he wasn't around when it happened, he knows how monumental of an event this was. Here's a quote from Miles POV. I didn't know whether to trust Alaska, and I'd certainly had enough of her unpredictability. Cold one day, sweet the next, irresistibly flirty one moment, resistibly obnoxious the next. I preferred the colonel. At least when he was cranky, he had a reason. Skip forward a little while, and she's sitting on the bed next to him, and he has a change of heart. (laughs) Quote, I felt it, the nervous warmth of touching, and the almostness of the moment I cared at least enough. I wasn't sure whether I liked her, and I doubted whether I could trust her, but I cared at least enough to try to find out. Typical teenage boy. Yes. Thinks about touching the girl he likes, and immediately Mm -hmm. his feelings switch. Absolutely. Completely. Which I thought was written and conveyed very well. Mm -hmm. Like, I read this and I was like, oh, yes, teenage boy. Yes. Oh, I, oh my God. I agree. The entire, honestly, the entire way that John Green wrote Miles is perfect. Literally Mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. He's so, he really gets into the depth of his personality, Mm -hmm. but still has that balance of he's just a horny teenager. Exactly. Which all teenage boys, complex, but still horny. Yes, 1000%. (laughs) So Alaska and Miles stay at school over Thanksgiving, and they bond, they grow super close, and Miles sees it as a possibility that they can end up together. Yeah. But in reality, I think Alaska liked that attention. Mm-hmm. And it was a good distraction because she never wanted to go home. Yeah. And so now she just has him there. And so she's... And it's like you obviously can tell throughout the the before parts that she knows that like Miles has a crush on her. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that she like extorts that, but she definitely uses it to her advantage. Uh, yeah. I would say I probably would agree extort is a strong word, but yes. She, I mean, she's a teenage girl. Yeah. Her boyfriend lives far away yeah it was like tennessee or something like that so it's and see each other as much exactly and she's getting attention from someone who she knows is shy and less experienced so she Mm -hmm. can kind of like joke around with him and embarrass him a little bit when she's flirting with him so i mean i totally see it as an innocent teenage thing yeah because if miles was really 
seeing the situation, he wouldn't fall for it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But it kind of lends itself to this idea that Miles feels like he's getting closer to her and he's seeing a side of her that other people don't, which may or may not be true, but it does come back later. Uh So school resumes, the pranks continue, and I love the parts where they're discussing the pranks because it really shows who everyone is. Uh So Alaska comes up with a crazy idea, the colonel plans it down to a T, and Miles and Takumi just go along with the plan, no matter what it is, like... They're, they're just, just along like, for the ride. <laughs> exactly. Like, they're just the ones who have to carry out the legwork because yeah. the colonel's planning. Alaska's got the ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it really shows their personalities. And meanwhile, Alaska decides to set up Miles and Lara. And even though he loves Alaska, he's never had a girlfriend mm-hmm. or kissed a girl. So he's easily influenced into this relationship. Hence the infamous blowjob scene. <laughs> I totally forgot about that, to be honest. Then when you said this, when no. you're like, you're like a sexual act. I'm like, I'm like, what? I was like, I don't. I, I was like, I don't remember about. anything sexual. Just a lot of making out. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. Also, I feel like they should have known a little more what to do. I know it. It was kind of funny that they went to like Alaska and we're like, what do we do? And then Alaska's like, hold, please. Let me just show you. And she like get, like gets like the toothpaste and apparently graphically shows them what to do. <laughs> Which is so something Alaska would do. Yeah. But why would you ask Alaska who's never going to let you live it down? I know. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. And now this is where it reminds me so much of Perks of Being a Wallflower, yes. which is another amazing coming of age mm-hmm. book. It's the wild girl who acts extra wild to cover up her insecurities. And then there's the nerdy loner who loves her but dates someone else instead. Yeah. It's a blueprint for teenage disaster. Literally. So then comes the big night. Alaska and the colonel are getting shit-faced. And Miles is just hanging out with them. And Alaska starts making out with Miles. And she's always made jokes in the past that, oh, well, I love my boyfriend, so I can Mm -hmm. never, you know, do anything with you, whatever. And so they're making out. And then she says, to be continued, because she's tired and she's drunk. Yes. Then she goes outside to the payphone and takes a phone call. She comes back to the room, completely freaks out. She's hysterical. She doesn't tell Miles and Chip what's going on, but she asks them to cover for her so that she can drive off campus in the middle of the night. So they do. They set off fireworks to distract the Eagle, who's the head of the boarding school, and she drives off campus. And then we move to after. Yes. So now we find out that this is the event that the entire book is centered around. This is the before, and now we're moving into the after. Mm Mm-hmm. So we find out that there was an accident on the freeway that Alaska was driving on and a cop was at the scene and Alaska drove her car directly into the cop car and was killed instantly. The colonel and Miles are pretty much inconsolable. Yeah. Not only does Miles feel that he lost the potential love of his life because he felt like he finally got her because they were kissing. Mm-hmm. But they both feel fully responsible for letting her drive that night, for not seeing it coming, et cetera, et cetera. They knew that she was drunk. They knew that she was hysterical. They knew she shouldn't be driving in the middle of the night and that she drives like an absolute maniac Mm -hmm. every day. So there's just this guilt that they, it's just basically eating them alive. Yeah. Here's a quote from Miles shortly after her death. What was I so afraid of anyway? 
The thing had happened. She was dead. She was warm and soft against my skin, and she was laughing, trying to teach me, promising to be continued. And now, and now she was colder by the hour, more dead with every breath I took. I thought, that is the fear. I have lost something important, and I cannot find it, and I need it. It is fear like if someone lost his glasses and went to the glasses store, and they told him that the world had run out of glasses, and he would just have to do without. I mean, holy shit. I know. For a teenager to have to grapple with this magnitude of grief and to try to define it, because Miles does try to define everything in his life. He He does does try to explain everything. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's going to feel that way about this. And it's it's something that's hard to explain and hard to wrap your head around. I know. And to like also to kind of like backtrack a little bit to to the before when they were together at on campus by themselves for Thanksgiving. And it's kind of like a foreshadowing too, because I actually I had highlighted some stuff on my Kindle when I was reading. And Pudge had asked had asked her, he says, like, why don't you go home for vacations? And she says, I'm just scared of ghost Pudge and home is full of them. Mm-hmm. So even throughout the before you can feel it, she has this just this dark cloud over her, you can sense it. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. talked about, but like, you can sense that there's, you know, like, she, she talks about how the best day of her life was also pretty much the worst day of her life when they had that that whole conversation of like what was the best day and she talks about how she was at the zoo with her mom and then the worst day was the same day because her mom had like an aneurysm and then Mm -hmm. alaska almost feels responsible for it because she didn't call 911 she just sat on the floor with her mom so there's a lot of guilt that she feels like one of the themes that you mentioned she feels a lot of guilt for her mom because she feels like she's semi-responsible, which realistically she's not. Because even mm-hmm. if she had, I can guarantee you, like, if this was a real story, she had called 911, a brain aneurysm, you don't come back from that realistically. Right. So exactly like you said, the ghost is her mom. But there's also her dad, because immediately when he first got home, he blamed Alaska for mm-hmm. not calling 911. And even though he regretted it and he said, you know, this wasn't your fault and he tried to make it right with her, she remembers that. And of course, she blames herself. So it's not only that she doesn't want to go back to the house that her mom is no longer there, but she doesn't want to be around her dad either. Mm -hmm. So she's just she's struggling with all these things. And she acts a certain way to cover up for all of that. Yeah, definitely. And I think we find out more about that in the after when Miles and the colonel are kind of trying to explain what happened. Yeah, they're trying to like do detective work to figure out exactly what occurred. Yeah. So while they're trying to cope with their feelings, they go to sort through Alaska's room and Miles finds her favorite book with the passage underlined. And she had mentioned this passage to Miles a while ago. It's about the concept of the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. So the passage is, he was shaken by the overwhelming revelation that the headlong race between his misfortunes and his dreams was at that moment reaching the finish line. The rest was darkness. Damn it, he sighed. How will I ever get out of this labyrinth? And in the margin, Alaska had written in straight and fast. And because of the way she died, by driving directly into the cop car, not slowing down, not swerving, and because Alaska never did anything without a reason, the Colonel and Miles are basically investigating whether it was a suicide or an accident because of those three words written yeah. in the margin. Mm-hmm. And it's like, can you like imagine being a teenager and not even comprehending? Because you got to figure they're, they're young kids. They don't fully understand the concept of suicide either, if she did mm-hmm. actually kill herself or didn't. And so you have to, not only are they dealing with the unexpected loss of her, but now they're dealing with the fact of 
trying to understand why she did it if it was intentional. Absolutely. And the fact that they will never know for sure, Mm -mm. no matter how much investigating they do, because the only person who could tell them is Alaska. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they still try. They still try. They have this whole- So hard. They try so hard to figure it out. And even reading the story, you're almost like rooting for them to figure it out, but you have to, but then you have to kind of bring yourself back to reality and realize you're never actually going to have that answer. But you yeah. want them to find the answer. So I it's totally just, agree. It's, yeah. You know, you, you, it's hard to not feel for them. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for that one piece of evidence that they're yes. going to find. And even though they do find something that they see as evidence, it's not. Yeah. It's still so unknown. Mm-mm. So as their investigation is underway, which we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to their findings, but they decide to do one last memorial prank. The Amazing. best prank of the book. <laughs> it was so good. So <laughs> it's, it's very elaborate, but basically they hire a male dancer to pretend to be a doctor to speak at their annual conference thing where they have speakers you know what i mean and instead he rips his clothes off and starts dancing in black leather briefs love it (laughs) i pictured this and i was like this is incredible incredible Mm -hmm. and it turns out that the eagle knows it was them who did this prank but lets it go for alaska i loved that so much because the entire concept of the eagle's character is that he's this hard ass that doesn't let anything slide Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if they do something wrong, they have to go before a jury at the school who determines their punishment. So it's like he's definitely so strict and is trying to keep a a, trying to keep a tight leash on all his students at the school. Mm -hmm. So when he approaches, you know, Chip and Miles and says, I know it was Alaska and he's but he's almost like proud of her too, in a sense, Mm -hmm. which is also a really beautiful thing because he knows who Alaska was and what she was like. And so the fact that he was just okay with it, it was, Mm -hmm. it was, it was really, it was a really cool thing. Yeah. Because like you said, he's like this hard ass who has to enforce all these rules, but he gets to know all of these kids and he gets to know, you know, obviously when they're in trouble and what they're doing wrong and he tries to get them not to, but he knows who they are and he really feels like like you said proud that the prank that they pulled off really did show alaska like it really did it really meant that it was in memorial Mm -hmm. for her yeah so i i thought that was that was an awesome little touch it was it definitely was so in this whole investigation they decide that it probably was a suicide she felt guilty for forgetting her mom's death anniversary mm-hmm. because she realized that it was a few days after and she hadn't brought flowers to her mother's grave, which she had done every year. She was drunk and impulsive and perpetually angry. And she had her mom's favorite flowers in the back seat of the car. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go back and forth. Like, was she just going to the grave to, to put the flowers there? But then why didn't she break? Why didn't she see the cop? Why didn't, you know, why are there no break marks or yeah. skid marks or swerve mm-hmm. or whatever? And they decide that it probably was intentional. And this doesn't make Miles feel any better, honestly. No, it doesn't make anybody feel better, I feel, because it's even if they solved it or, you know, whatever it is, her death impacts each person in their own way. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. they, the fact that they let her go in general 
makes them they feel partially responsible and Mm -hmm. they wish that they could have prevented it but clearly there's nothing they could have done yeah and i think that those feelings of guilt also turn into feelings of anger chip is definitely angry at himself for letting her go because Mm -hmm. he knew how impulsive she was Mm -hmm. and for just kind of taking her at her word and doing whatever she asked no matter what because he trusted that that she was able to take care of herself you Mm -hmm. know so and obviously miles is angry He says, it was not enough to be the last guy she kissed. I wanted to be the last one she loved, and I knew I wasn't. I knew it, and I hated her for it. I hated her for not caring about me. I hated her for leaving that night, and I hated myself too. Not only because I let her go, but because if I had been enough for her, she wouldn't have even wanted to leave. She would have just lain with me and talked and cried, and I would have listened and kissed at her tears. I mean, that is so fucking heartbreaking. I know. Like he, in all of this, and I think this is a very, very big byproduct of suicide, is that the people who remain feel that they were not enough Yeah, for the person who took their own life. Mm-hmm. They weren't a big enough reason for that person to stay, which obviously is not true. It's when you take your own life, I mean, obviously... This is all, you know, us speculating about how people are feeling, but it's it's such a personal thing and it's yeah. such a lost feeling. You're not thinking about the people you're leaving behind. You're not thinking about you're not saying, Oh, they're not enough to keep me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave, you know? I think you just want to escape your a demons and that's the only way out. There's no other, you know, there's no other way out. There's no other way out, out out of the labyrinth than to, you know, to just do what you gotta do. Exactly. So what do you make of all this? Do you think Alaska's death was a suicide? Yes. I think that she was feeling guilty because she forgot her mom's, the anniversary of her mom's death. And so on top of her being drunk, forgetting the anniversary, she's probably reminiscing about how she feels responsible for her mom's death because her dad basically blamed it on her because she didn't call 911 and she just sat with her mom. Mm -hmm. And throughout the book, you can feel the, the tense undertone of the darkness that she has and you can tell that she's unhappy. And, you know, the fact of the matter is... She talks about, you know, the the labyrinth. And there was this quote in the very beginning that she says to to Miles. She says, you spend your whole life stuck in the labyrinth thinking about how you'll escape it one day and how awesome it will be. And imagining that future keeps you going, but you never do it. You just use the future to escape the present. Mm -hmm. So she's Mm -hmm. just, she's a very, she's very pessimistic. So you put all that together and she comes across this this roadblock i'm sure her mind was just constantly running and she just was like you know what this is this is it straight and fast this is what i wanted Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna do it now this opportunity is presenting itself i have to take it Mm -hmm. i agree i i completely agree i think it was a suicide also um this is actually someone on a discussion thread on goodreads a reviewer named cassia i had to include this because she really hits perfectly the way that I feel about it. So mm-hmm. she says, Alaska was such a sad person. In every action, she shows how impulsive she is. She's impulsive because she doesn't plan for a future, which is what you said. I may die young, but at least I'll die stupid. That was one of her quotes. She lived very much in the moment because as she learned from her mother's untimely death, in just a heartbeat, everything can fall apart. She spent her time trying to enjoy the now, smoking, pranking, kissing, living. This is why Pudge is such a foil to her character. Everything he does is calculated. Alaska is at Culver Creek to escape reality, and Pudge is there to find it. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. It's spot on. Mm -hmm. Because she really was 
never planning for a future. And like you said, no. because she felt that the labyrinth, that is the labyrinth that you get stuck in looking to the future, aka when you get out of the labyrinth, and that never happens. And mm-hmm. you're basically just like a hamster on a wheel. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads into the fact that religion, religion class plays a huge role in this story, not religion itself, but they're constantly talking about this religion class. So Alaska hates the teacher, but Miles really enjoys the class. And it sort of explores how he's feeling about Alaska, about what happens after death and the suffering aspect. And it allows them to tie all of this back to the labyrinth idea that Alaska was obsessed with. Yeah. What did you think about that? About the... Oh my god, I loved that. That was also something I really appreciate about this story, was the fact that you also have this old curmudgy professor who... You know, is on the brink of death himself. And he's very, he's also very strict in his class and very much a tough, a tough like mentor. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he takes, again, it's, he's appreciative of who Alaska was and the fact that you have this girl who had this darkness in her, but she was so deep on like an intellectual mm-hmm. level. And she, especially for her age, I feel like too, the fact that she was trying to understand the concept of the labyrinth mm-hmm. and, it was a really nice way to tie up that theme of the labyrinth mm-hmm. and what what it meant. I agree. And I agree with what you said about her being very mature. I mean, she had to grow up quickly because yeah. of her mom dying. But then you also see those those glimpses of her still being an immature teenager. Mm-hmm. It's like she's so deep and she's reading all these you know, she's always reading. She's got thousands of books in her room and she's always trying to learn something new, but then she's still impulsive and she still does stupid things Mm -hmm. and still is selfish and hurts people's feelings knowingly. Yeah. And I feel like she always knew in a sense, looking back on it, I think she always knew that she was going to end her life or that she wasn't going to live long. And I just think that the opportunity never presented itself. So that night that she's out driving, the opportunity pretty much presented itself. And so she just took it. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. All right. One last quote from Miles about Alaska. You can't just make me different and then leave because I was fine before Alaska. I was fine with just me and last words and school friends. And you can't just make me different and then die. For she had embodied the great perhaps. She had proved to me that it was worth it to leave behind my minor life for grander maybes. And now she was gone. And with her, my faith in perhaps. I could try to pretend that I didn't care anymore, but it could never be true again. You can't just make yourself matter and then die, Alaska, because now I am irretrievably different and I'm sorry I let you go. Yes, but you made the choice. You left me perhapsless, stuck in your goddamn labyrinth. And now I don't even know if you chose the straight and fast way out, if you left me like this on purpose. And so I never knew you, did I? I can't remember because I never knew. It's like, wild. Like, I know that this is not a real story and this is a fictional character, but the amount of depth that he gave this teenage boy and, again, the, you know, the intelligence that he had and just the way that mm-hmm. the way that he eloquently speaks or talks to himself, like his own thoughts, it's just, it's wild. <laughs> It's mm-hmm, actually wild. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't, I'm sure that there's actual teenage boys like this, 100%. You just, it's a, I'm sure it's a rare diamond in the rough, but yeah. this is, this is why I like love reading and I love books because it, it's, I know it's a fictional thing, but it just really, you just want people to, to actually be like this. Yeah. The way that yeah. authors write characters, it's like you wish it was the real world. And I also think it speaks to his interests and how they affect him and how they make him 
a deeper person. Mm-hmm. Like he's obsessed with last words. Yeah. He's obsessed with the last, like it sounds like such a silly thing, but he's obsessed with the last moments of people's lives. And he reads all these biographies of famous people just to find the last thing that they had to say to the earth. I know. And it's also, you should almost like see what's coming, coming because the idea of death, it's not prevalent, but it's undertone because of this, this mm-hmm. situation too, how much he loves last words and he likes to learn Absolutely. about what people said on, on their deathbed. And so it's, you shouldn't, it's very foreboding. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that he struggles with. He says, I'll never know what Alaska's last words were. Yeah. Which is like and it's sad because like, like that's his yeah. thing and he loved this girl so much. And if there was anything that he would want, it would be knowing those. Yeah. Or knowing that his her last words were to him or not knowing that like Mm -hmm. it just is another thing for him to grapple with yeah so i have a few more of our book club style questions why do you think miles is truly so devastated by alaska's death i think it's also because this is the first girl in his life that he's ever it seems truly had feelings for and even it's just you know reading how he was growing up he would he didn't have any close friendships with people he was very mm-hmm. much just by himself so he finally understands what what a relationship whether it's friendship love whatever he finally understands what it's like so he has this person that he loves or he really cares about and then that's just ripped away from him so now he has to try to figure out how to fill that void i agree and i think it's also what she represented so yeah he's heartbroken because he feels that he deeply loved alaska even though he barely knew her and that's certainly part of it but the other part is that he loved his life all of a sudden yeah he had friends he had a purpose Mm -hmm. he even though he would complain about you know the colonel and how he's so temperamental and how Alaska's so hot and cold and they helped him discover the great perhaps that he was looking for mm-hmm. yeah and that was ripped away and it's like I finally have it and now it's gone yeah do you like Alaska yes and no I definitely had just because clearly it's like I don't like how she strung miles along and mm-hmm. you know and it's she's very but she's like a, she's such a, a tough character I think she's a tough character to determine if you'd like or don't like her because she has some really good qualities you know but then she has some things that like aren't great the fact that she did rat somebody out and she did kind of get someone kicked out of school it was to save her own situation because she was on the verge of getting kicked out so she had to give the eagle something juicier than whatever her situation was so it's kind of for for someone that talks so much about like you said loyalty and doing the right thing she didn't in that scenario you know but then you have these things where she's it was like ironic because me reading this book alaska's character i was like i feel like kelsey's gonna really like her because she takes no (laughs) shit she's a feminist and she's very much for women and like there was parts of the book where someone degrades a woman and she immediately calls him out on their shit you know and it's like Mm -hmm. i'm like is alaska kelsey (laughs) (laughs) we do have some similarities not gonna lie but yeah like it's just it was kind of like a love hate with her because she yeah. did have some good things and it's and it's hard because and you know she kind of had this really shitty thing happen to her growing up so it's Absolutely. i can understand why she is the way that she is yeah i agree with that i think i mean i do like her i think I'm, she's yeah 
a teenage girl with opinions and tons of personality. And unfortunately, she's never truly faced her trauma or dealt with the death of her mother and the role that she played in that death. Even though she was not responsible, she did play a role. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I love her little feminist attitude. (laughs) And like you said, she did hurt a lot of people. She did do some fucked up things. But I think in a way, it was basically teenage angst and she was acting out for attention. And it's tragic that she blamed herself for her mother's death. And now she possibly takes her own life and leaves others to blame themselves. And it's this vicious cycle. And it feels like the labyrinth of suffering, which Mm -hmm. is so hard to find your way out of. And so I feel like Alaska as a person explains this labyrinth of suffering. Yes, absolutely. She is. Which is depressing, like, yes. but true. <laughs> she, she like encompasses that entire theme. Yes, absolutely. Which is, it's just so incredibly written. Yeah. Okay. How would you answer the final essay question? So at the end, old man, I can't even remember his name, but they refer to him as old man, <laughs> the religion teacher. He assigns their final exam and he says that this was Alaska's question for their midterm exam. And he chooses for everyone to have to answer Alaska's question as their final exam. And the question is, how will you personally ever get out of this labyrinth of suffering? And here's like another thing. This is such a a deep question to ask of teenagers. Because me, Mm -hmm. as a 34-year-old woman, I'm struggling to even come up with like what a good answer would be. Because it's like, is there really a right answer or a wrong answer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like everyone goes through their own despair and suffering and so everyone's experience is going to be different and everyone's reaction to how to escape the labyrinth of suffering is going to be different for alaska Mm -hmm. it was clearly taking her own life for for me maybe my labyrinth of suffering is going to therapy you know to get Mm -hmm. out of labyrinth of you know like there's so many different ways to go about answering this question and there's no right or wrong Mm -hmm. answer absolutely and that's why i like that he posed this question because it is personal to each person Mm -hmm. and i was gonna say the obvious answer of therapy but i will also say especially as a more pessimistic person like alaska is i think something i work on and struggle with is focusing on the positive and kind of flipping my attitude to be more positive and the fact is there's always going to be some kind of suffering going on so we can't literally just about to say that i was just (laughs) going to say i completely get that because no matter how positive you are you're still everyone suffers every single person on this planet is suffering in some way or another it mm-hmm. may not be known, it may maybe they don't even know or they may not show it, but literally every single person is suffering. And some days are obviously worse than yes. others, but we can't ignore it. And I personally don't think religion is the answer, but I think self-reflection is, mm-hmm. I think self-awareness is, I think self-care is, building relationships with people who support you and lift you up so that when you are suffering, yeah. you have that support system and vice versa, that mm-hmm. you're able to support other people who are in your life and who rely on you as well. 100%. Do I think I would have answered it that way when I was 16? No. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. No. That's what I'm saying. It's like crazy that this th- this is such a deep question for this age. And again, yeah, we have an unfair advantage. I know. And I'm like, how is this young adult? Like, this is so much deeper than young adult. Well, also, when I was 16, I went to a Christian high school. So my answer would have been God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
Thank you. The end. Um, I want to end with a little excerpt before we get to our ratings from Miles' response to that final essay question, because they he does share, you know, how he yeah. answered the question. And he mostly talks about Alaska. Quote, one thing I learned is that energy is never created and never destroyed. When adults say teenagers think they're invincible, they don't know how right they are. We need never be hopeless because we can never be irreparably broken. We think that we are invincible because we are. We cannot be born and we cannot die. Like all energy, we can only change shapes and sizes and manifestations. They forget that when they get old. But that part of us, greater than the sum of our parts, cannot begin and cannot end, and so it cannot fail. So I know she forgives me, just as I forgive her. Thomas Edison's last words were, it's very beautiful over there. I don't know where there is, but I believe it's somewhere, and I hope it's beautiful. Again, a teenage boy wrote this? Wild. (laughs) It's too much. It's too much. And the fact that he he uses the essay to finally come to terms with his grief, yeah. to finally forgive Alaska, to finally put an answer to all of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a brave thing to do that a teenager might not necessarily do, but it does speak to that, even though, you know, the religion teacher was so strict and a lot of people didn't like him. Miles did. And yeah. he liked that he opened his eyes to so many new things. So I think he would feel comfortable sharing that with the teacher. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I agree. All right. Anything we missed before we get to the rating? One of my favorite quotes in this book, actually, it truly embodies who Miles is and who Alaska is when he says that thinking if people were rain, I was drizzle and she was a hurricane. Like, I think like that was one of my favorite quotes. I remember reading that too when I was younger and I like, because I'm I'm such a sucker for like good quotes and books, especially about relationships between people. And so the fact that he's comparing himself as something small and minor and comparing Alaska to this big major thing is it like really shows I love how they that. are as people and how different they are and it's kind of ironic that someone who's who is so so like antisocial and a loner as Miles was loved the big personality of Alaska it's just it's it's an interesting dynamic yeah i love that 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 is such a great quote because he has that self-awareness to see Mm -hmm. not saying that he's a drizzle and she's a hurricane but that that's the difference in their personalities and i guarantee if i read this book when it first came out that would have been my aim away message like i'm like y'all are drizzle i'm a hurricane (laughs) (laughs) did i use this a facebook status one day i probably fucking did (laughs) probably i'm sure i did (laughs) all right so our rating scale today is packs of marlboro lights that the colonel can't afford oh I love that. I almost thought if you're going to go with like the strawberry wine. Okay. <laughs> Why do you know me so well? And the reason I didn't is because I did purse wine for beach read. Oh, okay. So it's like, I can't you do want, another one. You don't, so, you don't want to be on brand. You want to try to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't want my brand to be bottles of wine. But also like, where did Miles get this money for cigarettes from? Right? I, <laughs> I'm guessing that his parents were like sending him an Probably allowance. Got, like, I was just going to say that because it doesn't seem like his parents aren't wealthy or anything. He Or did he, he doesn't like seem well off either, but it doesn't because you can tell like Alaska and chip come from like not great home situations yeah financial wise but there's never really been any explanation of where miles comes from but like obviously he's getting money from somewhere (laughs) 
Yeah, and there, his family definitely has to be like middle class because, or like upper middle class because when he says that he's not coming home for Thanksgiving, at first they're sad, and then, oh, then they like, go on okay, a cruise, on right? Yeah, <laughs> or they <laughs> go to like Europe or something. Yeah. So they definitely have some disposable mm-hmm. income. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So they're probably sending him, you know, with a monthly allowance. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that it's just never brought up. No, and it's just like it's the money is always brought up, but never where it's coming from. No. <laughs> All right. So how many packs? of Marlboro Lights are you giving this book? I'm giving this book five because it was that was what I gave it to when I first read it and it was funny because as I'm reading it it's like I don't remember this I don't remember this book at all which was Mm -hmm. crazy because I was like this is like one of my I remember this was this book had such an impact on me when I first read it I was it was just so good it was one of my favorite books I ever read and as I'm reading it I was like I don't remember any of this I was like, what was yeah. about it that was so impactful? And then and then honestly, the whole before, it wasn't that. It was when I got to the after that I was like, this is why I love this book so much. Because then I yeah. started it and I was like, oh no, did I make a mistake choosing this book? I was like, I don't remember why I love this book so much. And then when I got to the after, I was like, oh, this is why. Because mm-hmm. the depth and the emotional intelligence with which these characters were written was phenomenal. And the quotes, I'm like I said, I'm a sucker for quotes and just mm-hmm. the way that it was everything was addressed was really just everything was it was literally it was just I wouldn't say it's perfect but it was so close to perfect mm-hmm. so I was I have to give it five stars because now I understand especially reading it and be like why did I love this book so much and then I got yeah. to it, I was like this is why I love this book so much or yes it gets five stars it gets five packs of smokes <laughs> five packs of smokes I actually hadn't rated this until right now. And I'm giving it four packs of Marlboro Lights. I thought it was great. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was thought provoking. It's Mm -hmm. powerful. It's sad, but also happy in so Mm -hmm. many ways. And I think if I read this when I was younger, I would rate it much higher because it would have resonated even more with Mm me. But I 100% get the hype about John Green. I think he encapsulates these characters so well. The fact that everything really comes full circle and like not in a cheesy way. And Alaska and Miles and Chip are all their own full people. And you see all the sides of them, the good and the bad. So I think, yeah, this is probably a must read for all book lovers. It's kind of a rite of passage book. Yeah. Like one of those things that everyone Mm -hmm. just has to read. You know, I agree. Now, have you ever read any of his books? Was this your was this your first John Green experience? This was my first John Green experience. So, The Falls in Our Stars is if you want to cry the entire time, then, See, then read that's it. That's why. That's why I haven't but read it. <laughs> I highly suggest Paper Towns. So I bought Paper Towns. I have it. Mm-hmm. So I will read that one definitely. And it's very similar in that the male main character is pining after this spunky female character. Okay. So John Green is is writing from experience. I'm gonna guess <laughs> from his teenage angsty experience. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But no, I yeah. definitely highly suggest Paper Towns. And the movie was very good. I did watch the movie. Yeah, I've out. stayed away from Fault in Our Stars because I know that it's sad and it I is. don't like to be sad. But it Paper is. Towns I'll try first. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, the writing is so good. Yeah. So really, good. You, you can't go wrong. All right. Anything else <laughs> no. you want to add? Mm-mm. I think we covered it all. Another book that you have to add to your TBR. You're welcome, everybody. Actually, if you're listening to this, you should have already read it because we ruined the whole thing. Fact. Anyway, that's all we have for you today. If you like what you heard, please make sure to follow, subscribe, and rate and review the podcast on whatever platform. 
If you have any book recommendations, questions for us, you can email us at fullybookedcalfpod at gmail.com. Also be sure to follow us on socials, TikTok and Instagram at fullybookedcalfpod to see our upcoming reads. Thanks for checking us out. And remember, if you need us, we're trying to figure out how to get out of the labyrinth of suffering. Damn right. (laughs) Bye. Bye.